welcome to Question Period. Happy Thanksgiving. I'm Evan Solomon. On our program today, vaccine deadlines. Simply having a personal conviction that vaccines are bad will not be nearly enough uh, to qualify for an exemption. By the end of the month, federal workers and air and rail travelers will need to be fully vaccinated or face consequences. This was obviously a rushed uh, decision, a rushed announcement by this government. But how will the federal government enforce the mandate? Will there ever be a national vaccine passport for travelers? And is Canada now talking to the Taliban? The Minister of Intergovernmental Affairs, Dominic LeBlanc, joins us on all that. And then, Orange crushed. We're proud of the campaign we ran. Uh, I'm disappointed, though, that we didn't get more of these incredible MPs. Despite doubling their campaign budget, why did the NDP's election campaign fail to make bigger gains? Will they ever vote against the Liberal agenda? We go one-on-one -on -one with NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. Then, on notice. I accept that responsibility. We fell short. When I had a plan for us to win the confidence of more Canadians, we fell short. After a disappointing election, the Conservative Party votes to give itself the power to review Aaron O'Toole's leadership at any time. I'm a fan of Aaron. I think he'd make a great Prime Minister. Conservative voters and members do expect more from a Conservative Party than $100 billion in spending and 10 years of baked in deficits. Has Mr. O'Toole's leadership been put on notice? Where does he take the party from here? Conservative MP Michael Chong joins us on that. This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers. As the Liberals promised in the campaign, the vaccine mandates are finally here, but there are now as many questions as there are answers. By October 29th, all federal public servants will have to be fully vaccinated. And by November 15th, federal employees who are not fully vaccinated will be put on unpaid leave. Meanwhile, anyone 12 and older who wants to board a plane or a train in Canada will need to show proof of vaccination by the 30th of October. The intent of these measures is to ensure that anyone working for the federal, federal public service, uh, that anyone wishing to travel on a plane or a train be vaccinated. And exemptions, whether they're medical exemptions or otherwise, will be exceedingly narrow, specific, and to be honest, somewhat onerous to obtain. The policies will be reassessed every six months to determine whether they need to remain in place. And while the Public Service Alliance of Canada says it supports the mandate's framework, they're also furious that they were not consulted. And they say the plan is full of holes. There are outstanding questions. There's kinks to be worked out. This appears to be just a checkbox uh, for the Prime Minister and the Deputy Prime Minister to come out and say, election promised, acknowledged. So how will the mandates be enforced? And what will happen to unvaccinated workers who refuse the shot? Will there ever be a federal vaccine travel passport? Well, let's find out. Joining me now, Minister of Intergovernmental Affairs, Dominic LeBlanc. Minister, always a pleasure to have you on the program and happy Thanksgiving to you and your loved ones. Um, can we Thank start? Thank you, Aaron. Good morning. Good morning. Let, let's start talking about the, the uh, vaccine mandates. Chris Auer, the president of the union that represents 160,000 public servants, says they're going to challenge the government if the government forces people with no vaccination to go on leave without pay in mid-November. One of the reasons he said we weren't even uh, consulted on this. Is the government confident that it's legal to do this and, and they, can, they can put people on leave without pay uh, with no legal kickback? Yes, we're very confident that it's entirely legal. Uh, it's, it, it becomes, we've decided as a, as a Treasury Board, as a government, uh, to make it a condition of employment. 
in the context of the of the pandemic. It's a it's a temporary period of time. We don't know how long it'll last, but during the COVID-19 pandemic, that will be a requirement. It's not a surprise to anyone, Evan. We talked about it in the middle of August. Uh, it's also designed, of course, to keep the workplace, the federal workplace safe, but to protect people in the community. Uh, and it's important to say that uh, if these people do not have adequate proof, uh, if, uh, if they're audited, they have to, uh, as you know, uh, provide a sworn uh, statement that they're fully vaccinated. Some will be audited. Uh, obviously, if you've lied uh, in, uh, in a sworn uh, statement to the government, that could be grounds for dismissal. And those that are sent home uh, after the middle of November because they haven't been fully vaccinated are not also eligible for employment insurance. Okay, so l let's talk about that. I can't figure this attestation out. Uh, you know, that means it's easier for a public servant to get into work by swearing that they've got the double vaccine than if you and I were to go into a restaurant, go to a hockey game, uh, we have to provide a proof of vaccination. This just seems very complicated. Why not just say to federal servants, show us your proof of vaccination. It will be consistent instead of an attestation. And now you're saying it sounds like a kind of an expensive auditing process. Why not just make them show it like everywhere else? Yeah, so th that was determined uh, by the senior leadership of the public service as the, the most efficient, the fastest way uh, to ascertain who is completely vaccinated. I can't imagine, uh, Evan, that it's a good career move to lie to your employer about something as important as your vaccine status. And as I said, there are, of course, are mechanisms which uh, some people can be audited to provide the proof. Let's talk about exemptions. Um, um, I understand there's medical exemptions that are gonna be thin, but there's also religious exemptions. What are the limits of the religious exemptions? Define what religions, what are the reasons? How, how do you explain that? So those will be looked at on a case-by-case -case basis. We expect, and the legal advice uh, that Treasury Board received, Evan, is that uh, they are very narrow uh, and very unusual exemptions. Uh, we, as I say, we're not going to anticipate every potential scenario the public service managers will have and uh, the hierarchy in the public service going up to the deputy head who's a deputy minister level right. person in each department or agency will ultimately make the decision but they're going uh, to but, sorry, but they're going to make a decision on religion i mean it's just interesting what if someone says this is my religious convention my my religious yeah, conviction on what constitution on what constitutes a valid uh, exemption but people shouldn't anticipate that there's a there's a wide opening for a series of frivolous exemptions. That's not going to be the case. Mr. Uh, we're all waiting for the federal vaccine passport for, for travel, for air travel. Like the Europeans have had their green pass for months and months and months. Your government has promised it before the campaign. We still have no word. Travel associations are calling for it. When is this going to happen? When are we going to get some one single passport that people can actually use? And we said in the summer and, and last spring, Evan, that we hope to have it uh, in place this fall. That is very much still our intention. My colleague, uh, the Minister of Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship, uh, Marco Mendicino, has been working across the Government of Canada, but obviously with the Public Health Agency and provincial partners, because they are the holders of the data in terms of who's been immunized in their provinces. Uh, a number of provinces are offering provincial vaccine passports. Quebec was one of the leaders in that regard. Other provinces are also 
uh, standing up those systems. So what we will be doing is issuing a national confirmation, if you will, of the provincial data. But we expect that to be available uh, in, in the next couple of months this fall as well. Some COVID-19 supports for businesses are set to expire on October 23rd. Um, this is a big deal. Are those going to be extended? And does Parliament need to come back to get those extended? Because if Parliament doesn't come back, is there going to be a gap in service? So uh, the Minister of Finance, I know, is, is actively looking at a series of options. I, I don't believe there is a this final decision taken. Uh, but I've seen her and heard her publicly say uh, that the government is certainly sensitive that some sectors in the economy, we think of the arts and culture sector, for example, travel and tourism. Some sectors uh, will not perhaps be able to see a return to some of the pre-COVID uh, levels of activity uh, perhaps before we hope next season. And many of these businesses are, as you know, seasonal. Um, so we're very much looking right. at that and we'll do, we'll do what's necessary to protect both Canadians, both individuals, but also sectors of the economy that through no fault of their own are still facing very significant challenges because of COVID. Canada sent two representatives to meet with Taliban leaders in Doha. So did the EU, so did the United States. Does this signal that Canada is now recognizing the Taliban? Or can you tell Canadians what was the purpose of the meeting? So it's it certainly, uh, Evan, in no way the signals that our government uh, has any intention of recognizing the Taliban as a legitimate the government in Afghanistan, they remain under Canadian law, a listed terrorist organization, uh, and that will certainly remain. Uh, we have said that uh, we are obviously willing to work with other international partners in ways to support the Afghan people in humanitarian terms. Those are the conversations that we would have in the context of multilateral engagement with other right. uh, partners and allied countries. And as you know, Canada has indicated uh, that we'll accept 40,000 refugees from Afghanistan. That work uh, is underway. But, but in no way is the government of Canada uh, about to or has any intention of recognizing the Taliban as anything other than a terrorist entity. Will Canada send any aid to Afghanistan via the Taliban? Like, what dealings are we having with the Taliban? Well, I can't imagine, Evan, that we would send uh, aid to the Afghan people via the Taliban, uh, to use your phrase. If there are if there are ways multilaterally with other partners that we can support the Afghan people, uh, and including, as as we said, try and resettle, try and 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 bring to Canada forty thousand refugees from Afghanistan. That's the work that we're right. certainly already underway from our perspective. But if other allies and other partners in a multilateral context want to figure out a way to support what will be very difficult humanitarian circumstances right. in Afghanistan, uh, we think it's responsible for Canada to be present in those conversations. I got to leave it there today. Uh, Minister Dominic LeBlanc, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Evan, thank you. Have a great weekend. Happy Thanksgiving. So with the next session of Parliament set to look a lot like the last one, the NDP can once again hold the balance of power. But the question will be, will they continue to be the Liberals' de facto partners or start to push back? Meantime, the party has launched a review after tepid results in the last federal election. Jagmeet Singh only gained one more seat in the House of Commons despite his own popularity 
and a $25 million campaign. That's twice what the party spent in 2019. The party also failed to break through in the greater Toronto area and in Quebec. So where did the campaign go wrong? And why didn't Mr. Singh's likability translate into votes? What issues will they be pressing the Prime Minister on now? Let's find out. Joining me now is NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. Mr. Singh, uh, congrats on, on a win for you. Um, your party has now launched a review of the election campaign. You only won one seat, um, spent $25 million. The big question is, what went wrong? What did go wrong? Well, I want to say there's a lot of things that we're proud of. This was a campaign where we talked about the struggles of Indigenous people, went to Nishkandaga, one of the longest Boa Water advisories in the country. We went to Kaosis First Nations to remind folks that there are so many unmarked graves and there's so many Indigenous communities still reeling from those discoveries. And we were able to talk to frontline healthcare workers in Alberta who are right now up against a devastating disaster where they are seeing the collapse of their healthcare system. And we were able to share our view on how we can make things better, how we can invest in healthcare, and how we can make sure that the super rich pay their fair share. And we're proud of that. We came really close in a lot of ridings. We're the only opposition party that gained seats, and we're the only party that actually gained overall votes. Uh, but there's certainly a lot of disappointment in that there were some great MPs that came so close to winning that didn't. And that's why we launched a review to figure out how we can close that right. gap. But, but I'm asking you what you think went wrong. I mean, you spent $25 million. This is your second campaign. In your first campaign, you lost 20 seats. In your second campaign, you, you, gained, you spent 25 million bucks and gained a, a grand total of one. So you, overall, you're minus 19, Mr. Singh. You gotta ask some tough questions. What went wrong? Well, I mean, we look at the context of this as a pandemic election, one of the lowest turnouts in, in recent history in decades. And we've got a liberal government that spent $600 million on calling an election no one wanted to effectively come out of it with the same result. So I think a lot of folks are wondering why Mr. Trudeau called this election. Canadians sent back the same parliament, uh, but every other party lost vote. We're the only party that gained votes. So it showed that there's a building support for New Democrats. But as I mentioned, I'm, I'm disappointed that more MPs didn't join us in Ottawa. Great MPs that could have, could have fought hard for their communities. And I believe strongly that more New Democrats elected means people get more help. As you know, close doesn't count. Actually, the Liberals gained seats, as you know, but uh, they still got a minority parliament. But let's just look at the context. In 2011, Jack Layton and the Orange Wave they elected 103 members. They won 59 seats in Quebec. They were the official opposition. Um, since then, on Tom Mulcair and then you, three quarters of the caucus is gone, uh, one and a half million fewer voters for the NDP. When he won, he was known as Le Bon Jack in Quebec. He had 53 seats. You have one seat there. Are you concerned that he'll be Le Bon Jack and as someone said, you'll be one seat jug me? <laughs> It's a funny rhyme, I'll have to give them that. Uh, but we, we built something very remarkable. We were able to show Canadians that you Democrats fight for you. We were able to show folks that there is an alternative and there's a lot of people that believe in that. Uh, but there's still more to do. And so I'm, I'm prepared to work hard and to close the gap on those close seats. And Quebec remains a place really important to me. We were able to increase our support in Montreal and get really close in a number of seats. But again, there's more work to be done and I'm, I'm ready to do that work. I saw your, your, what you want to get done in this, in this parliament and a lot of it is hold Mr. Trudeau you know, to account on his own promises. 10 day sick leave, I know the NDP called for it, Mr. Trudeau campaigned on it, you say okay, uh, 10 day paid sick leave. You want childcare done, uh, vaccine passports. 
Those are all liberal promises. Do you think one of the problems with the NDP campaign is, if those are the things that you want to get done, why not just vote liberal? I mean, you become an insurance policy, I get it, but those are liberal ideas. What distinguishes the NDP from the liberals if, those are, if your priorities are their priorities? First of all, they're not liberal ideas. There are things that New Democrats fought for, and Mr. Trudeau mocked. When we talked about bringing in paid sick leave, we, we pushed to expand it 22 times in the past 18 months. And Mr. Trudeau laughed at it in, in question period, just across from where I'm standing. He mocked the idea multiple times. Even when we had already fought and obtained a federal program, he mocked the idea, he said it was not in our jurisdiction. And but we he said, ended well, up promising, there is a you're program, right. in fact, you're, you're, you're that right, we actually you're... brought in place right. that you were opposed to, and now it's here, we're saying make it work. And then, in the height of cynicism, in the middle of a campaign, he finally says, after 18 months, after 22 times of saying no, he says, okay, we'll bring in paid sick leave. Well, why couldn't he have done that 18 months ago? Why did he wait till an election? And Canadians don't believe that he's going to deliver on it. They don't believe that at all. But they, I mean, again, look, liberals swiping NDP ideas is as old as time. I, I get that. But, but they're voting for them. There's been, he won, you didn't. And I'm just trying to figure out why voters aren't seeing the NDP as an alternative. That's got to be the core question for you right now, no? Well, they are. And, and we're going to continue to show them why they're right to see us as an alternative. We've seen that Mr. Trudeau left to his own, doesn't get things done. When New Democrats are there, we force the government to work for people right. and we get results. And people have seen that. And that's why they returned. They didn't return Mr. Trudeau to a majority. He wanted a majority. I don't, I'm pretty sure he didn't call an election just to get the exact same result. Canadians sent him a pretty scathing message. No, we don't trust you to do it on your own. Mr. Singh, it's a minority parliament, as you've rightly said, and you hold the balance of power in many cases, unless the bloc does. But what leverage do you actually think you have after you spent the entire campaign saying, nobody wants an election, this was an election no one wants to, this is not something I want, we already know that you support mainly the, the Liberals' main agenda here. So if you're Justin Trudeau, why would he even bother consulting with you if you, know, you don't have any leverage? You know you're not gonna bring down the government. Well, he knows that if he wants to pass anything, he's got to get some votes. And I'm going to make it really clear. You can't count on us unless it's going to help people. Unless it's a measure that's going to actually help people out, then you're not going to be able to count on us for support. But you would be that's prepared to vote against and the budget? He knows budget? what we want. Is well, when it comes to actually passing legislation, when it comes to passing a bill, that's going to require the support of other parties. And without that support, that bill is not going to pass. If he wants the support or he wants our support to pass any legislation, it's got to be bills that actually help people out. It's got to be uh, support for people. And we've laid out some of the things that we want to see happen. We want to see paid sick leave actually happen. And last time he promised to make it happen, he didn't do it for months and months until we forced him again. So that's something that we are, we are very interested in seeing. We want to see the GIS clawbacks for seniors end immediately. We want to see this government stop fighting Indigenous kids in court. We want to see some of these concrete steps being taken right now. I just want to be clear. He's got to have a budget. He's going to have a speech from the throne. You are saying that you would be prepared to not vote for this government on, on a matter of confidence, like a budget or a speech from the throne that could trigger an election. Absolutely. You are? Okay. We, we, he can go and search for help somewhere else. He's not going to negotiate with us. He's not going to work with us. should not count on our support for granted, not at all. Some of the COVID-19 benefits are set to expire later this month. In your view, should they be extended and for how long? Yes, they should be extended uh, as long as we need them and as long as we're still in a, in a pandemic. 
Right now, the fourth wave is at its worst. And right now in Alberta and Saskatchewan, the conditions are the worst they've ever been. In the entire 18 months of this pandemic, there's been no moment worse than right now. Though we are 18 months into this, the worst circumstances are happening in hospitals. People are getting sick. Hospitals are being overrun. That is at its worst right now in Alberta and Saskatchewan. So absolutely, we need to continue supports. All right, uh, Jagmeet Singh, I appreciate you joining us on the program. Thanks so much. Of course. So is the Conservative leader, Aaron O'Toole, now on notice after his failure to break through in the federal election? This week, his own party voted to give themselves the power to potentially oust him if they choose, something they didn't do for Andrew Scheer after he lost the 2019 election. But Mr. O'Toole insists his caucus is fully united. This is not about a, a sword of Damocles hanging over my head. We're united as a team. This is about having a fair and transparent process that a team must have when it respects one another. During the election, Mr. O'Toole took a gamble by shifting toward the political center, not running as the true blue conservative he ran to win the leadership. But it didn't work. Now there are some open calls within his own party for a total rethink. So is his leadership really at risk? And what about the mandatory vaccine issue for members of parliament? Will conservatives support that? Let's find out. Joining me now is Conservative MP Michael Chong. Happy Thanksgiving to you, sir. Good to have you back on the program. So this week, the Conservative caucus voted to give itself the power to review Mr. O'Toole's leadership. Um, didn't do that for Andrew Scheer after 19. Is, and, uh, is uh, Aaron O'Toole's leadership on notice? No, uh, quite simply no. In fact, Aaron O'Toole voted for the rule that we enacted, the review and removal of the party leader rule, as did I. I voted for it each of the three last parliaments, including the current one, uh, and so has Aaron O'Toole. So the fact that this rule passed, I think, is more of a mark of his confidence in his leadership. Uh, the Conservatives won 69% of the vote in Alberta in 2019. Their percentage dropped to 55% now. They lost three seats. They've got the gain of the PPC. The Ontario vote was down by 40,000. The 905, he's, a, he's an MP in 905. The 905 riding votes were down 24,000 and two seats net. Like, did the Aaron O'Toole gamble pay off? And if not, what happened? Well, I don't want to say in finality what went wrong and, and what went right, because that's what the review is all about. But I think there are obviously some things that went wrong during the campaign. Uh, we walked into a number of traps that the Liberals had set for us. Uh, you know, I think about the trap for, you know, concerning military style assault uh, rifles that. What know, was the trap? Think out. What, what, why is that? A, I'm just saying, why was that a Liberal trap? That was your platform that he reversed. Like, what was the trap? Well, we didn't think through the way we included that in the platform oh. and didn't think through and didn't anticipate that the Liberals would turn this into attack. Same thing can be said about vaccines. You know, the Prime Minister has been Prime Minister for the last uh, year and a half of this pandemic, and right at the beginning of the campaign announced, you know, a, a pretty, uh, announced that vaccination policy, uh, vaccine mandates. And so, you know, those are issues that we didn't think through, didn't anticipate uh, would become an issue when we wrote the platform. But uh, can I, can, let me just press you on that, Mr. Chang. I mean, you call those liberal traps, but 
I mean, vaccines are hardly a trap. You either have a position on it or not, and it's actually continues to be a position. So uh, well, the Liberals, the NDP, and the Bloc said, you know, mandatory vaccines for all the candidates. Your party didn't do that. Now there's going to be mandate. There's going well, to be the vaccine uh, mandates for planes and trains. Uh, no testing. Do you, does your party support those? Well, there was no discussion about vaccine mandates in the spring from the government. The government didn't indicate that it was coming forward with it. It simply decided at the beginning of an election campaign that it was going to make it a campaign issue. Um, that's what I meant when I said that there had been no discussion about vaccination policy. I meant there'd been no discussion about vaccine mandates from this government until the campaign began. Uh, regarding the government's announcement this week, it's a sweeping announcement. Uh, it encompasses not just the federal public service, but the federally regulated workplaces, federally regulated sectors. It encompasses travelers, both domestic and international, and so we're still studying the details of that proposal. Vaccine mandates have been now discussed with 19 months into it. Uh, the government now, the Liberals have said, we support vaccine mandates, unions support it, businesses support it, provinces support it. And you're saying that the Conservative Party is still studying it? Like, where is the Conservative position on mandatory vaccines or not? Why are you still vacillating on this? Well, we're not vacillating, to be clear. Uh, the vaccine mandates mean different things to different people. And the government's announcement this week is all encompassing. It includes even non-citizens in this country who are departing Canada to return from holiday. Um, that never came up during the campaign. So it's a broad announcement that we are taking time to study because it has so many different aspects that were not previously discussed. Our policy is clear. Uh, we believe everyone uh, we encourage everyone to get their vaccination. We believe vaccines are safe and effective, and we believe that they're one of the most powerful tools for us to get out of this pandemic. Uh, that's our position. MPs are exempt from the mandatory vaccine policy that will be instituted by the end of the month that the government's going to pass. Um, you, you can't get on a plane or train. So if a conservative doesn't have two Conservative member of parliament doesn't have both vaccines, they can't travel. I'm going to ask, is your party going to flip position and say, yes, we now want all our, our members, every Conservative MP is going to have uh, a vaccine, and we support that um, to go into parliament? Well, we support all the public health guidelines that have been put in place and that have been uh, put in place by provincial and federal governments. And so our position is that MPs have to follow those public health guidelines. And so we encourage everyone to get their vaccination. Right. Uh, they're safe and effective. And so uh, if an MP wants to board a plane, they're going to have to get uh, their vaccination to do that. You know that MPs get an exemption. Their parliamentary privilege allows an MP to enter without double vax, even though if you work on Parliament Hill and every other Canadian is going to be subjected to a rule that MPs are going to be exempt. Are the conser is the Conservative Party going to allow MPs to use that parliamentary privilege and have that well, exemption? That's not, well, that's a good question, Evan, but it's not up to the Conservative uh, leadership. It's not up to the Conservative caucus. It's up to the House of Commons as a whole. The Speaker of the House is the guardian of the privileges and rights of members of Parliament, and it's the House as a whole that sets right. these rules, not the Conservative caucus. No, the, 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 the Conservative Party could just say all MPs have to be vaccinated. Every other party said that. That's the alternative, as you know. Yeah, and we've said all Conservative MPs need to follow all the guidelines and 
orders that have been put in place by federal and provincial health authorities, by local health authorities. Right. And that's been our position. It's still our position um, regarding the House of Commons. Mm. Well, that's a decision for the House as a whole and for the Speaker um, to enforce. Okay, Michael Chong, I really appreciate you joining us. Uh, enjoy the weekend. Thanks for being here. And happy Thanksgiving to you and your viewers. So the vaccine mandates are here, but are they clear? This week, the federal government unveiled its new mandatory vaccination plan for federal workers. Any failure of compliance means an employee will be put on unpaid leave starting November 15th. There are people in the country who just, you know, haven't gotten around to getting vaccinated and for whom having a practical reason why you need to get vaccinated is enough of a nudge to have them take this action. This mandate will also apply to all travelers over 12 years old who wish to board a train or plane. It also comes as Canada shows some encouraging signs. New modeling released on Friday shows the fourth wave of the pandemic is actually leveling off, but still high in regions with lower vaccination coverage. Despite the very real challenges being faced at the height of the current curve, current wave, the efforts we've made give us reason for optimism. Nevertheless, over the past month, lessons have been hard learned where measures were relaxed too much or too soon, and especially where vaccination coverage remains low. But who will be exempt from the policy? Will the responsibility to fully verify vaccine statuses of passengers and workers be downloaded onto frontline workers and managers? And why weren't the public sector unions consulted on this? To answer that, the Scrum is here. Joyce Napier, our CTV Ottawa Bureau Chief is here. Marika Welsh, political reporter with the Globe and Mail. And our special guest for this round is Jerry Dias, the national president for Unifor, uh, the largest private sector union in the country. A uh, good morning to everyone. Jerry, the head of the public sector union, um, uh, Chris Elward, told me he represents 160,000 public sector workers. He wasn't consulted before the government announced this mandate and that he would support members who are booted onto unpaid li uh, leave if they want to fight back. What do you make of the government's policy and would you support putting unvaccinated workers on unpaid leave? Well, first of all, the government should have consulted with Chris. There's no reason that the Public's, uh, Public Service Alliance of Canada uh, wasn't part of the conversation. I find that piece disrespectful. But the bottom line is unions have to be straightforward with our members. The bottom line is employers that come out with a mandatory vaccination policy will be upheld in front of arbitrators. So if unions are out there saying to our members, look, don't worry about it, don't cooperate, don't bother getting vaccinated, at the end of the day, if they get fired, they'll likely stay fired. So I think it's the responsibility of the unions to be very candid with our members, very straightforward, and tell them that you are risking your livelihood if, in fact, you're refusing to get vaccinated. Okay, would you so do that in your union? If a member in your union says, sorry, Jerry, I'm not getting vaccinated, it's my personal, I'll work from home. What do you say to your member? We have 425 employees that work for Unifor. Those that are not vaccinated uh, by the 4th of November will not be working for Unifor unless they have a bona fide medical reason or there's a mm -hmm. legitimate human rights uh, issue that we would have to deal with. But outside of those legitimate, and that's a tough bar to hit, 
employees will not be working for Unifor after the 4th of November. Joyce, okay, so so there's su support here, right? Uh, unions are like Jerry Dias, you, you hear that. This was a big campaign promise for Justin Trudeau, and now he's, he's met that. What questions about the rollout remain? Well, I think, first of all, why would he not have consulted the public sector uh, union? Um, because that was the big, the big uh, excuse the government gave us in why is it taking so long? And they kept answering, well, you know, we're consulting with the unions, which obviously didn't happen. Uh, that's number one. Uh, number two, it's the exemptions uh, that are not clear. Medical exemptions, that's following the science. We understand that. There are people who are hesitant out there, and that's legitimate. We understand it. Uh, but, you know, your time is up. It's the religious reasons, and I don't want to anger the gods, but the religious reasons are not scientific reasons. Uh, Marika, there's a lot of politics in this. So you've got planes, trains, they're going to require it. We still have no word on when, when there's going to be a national passport. MPs are going to be exempt from this. I don't know what the Conservatives are going to do about this. What are the politics of this as it's rolled out, Marika? The politics are really a question for the Conservatives. I think we it was very revealing when we saw that the Conservatives didn't put somebody on your show during the week, Evan, to talk about this. It shows they are cornered, they are between a rock and a hard place. But I also think that given the rules that we now have for travel in particular, those MPs who are not vaccinated are going to be smoked out very quickly because the Conservatives are also the ones that no longer want a hybrid parliament. They want people to be in the House of Commons. That means their MPs need to be vaccinated to get here unless they're able to drive. So I think that this will be something that the party does get sorted out eventually because events will overtake themselves. In the meantime, though, they seem to be squirming in, in trying to explain what they're doing and actually just not explaining it at all this week. Uh, and then, Jerry, I mean, this is so, there's so many levels to this because you got the federal level applying, then you got the provinces, Quebec's mandated uh, vaccines for healthcare workers. There's a worry that either on the federal or other levels that some people will say, okay, forget it, and there'll be staffing shortages. So we're going to see a, a service crunch already. What's your take on that, Jerry? Well, look, first of all, there has to be a consistent approach. I don't like the idea that you've got the feds are doing one thing, provinces are doing something else. There's no central coordination, which I think is problematic. I mean, you can't have the Albertas of the world or the Saskatchewan's doing their own thing because whatever Scott Moe and Jason Kenney are doing clearly aren't working. So there has to be a coordinated approach. That's in Canada's whole and response to, to COVID, though. <laughs> Pardon me? That's been Canada's entire response to COVID, though, is, is that we do have a patchwork response. Yeah, which is, hasn't worked very well, has it? We've had over 28,000 uh, 28, Canadians have died from COVID. I've had 11 members have passed away. I've had my members who are frontline essential workers have died servicing Canadians grocery store workers, warehouse workers, PSWs in long-term care facilities and personal uh, in personal care. So out of respect for their lives and their families, right. look, we have to have a strong, consistent approach. And the only way we're going to get through this is when people are vaccinated. Well, Joyce, I wonder now, given that the federal government's going to do these vaccines, there's going to be some complicated rollout. I, you know, one of the issues is verification. There's an attestation form versus, an, you know, for example, a federal employee just has to attest. You and I, if we want to go to a restaurant, we've got to actually show our actual proof of vaccine. So that's kind of a weird step. But is the argument on these vaccine mandates kind of coming to a close now with, you know, unions, governments, companies all hopping on board? 
Yeah, well, it's about time, isn't it? I mean, this has been lasting, what, 19 months? We've had vaccines since January. Uh, so, yeah, this should be the end of that. And the next conversation should be, uh, and I kind of agree with Jerry. Uh, I understand the Constitution. I don't want to have a discussion on, you know, uh, various responsibilities, provincial, federal, because that's irritating and, and irritates most Canadians. What we want to know is, when is the federal government going to have a consistent uh, proof of vaccination? You call it a passport, uh, or call it a certificate, uh, you know, it doesn't take that long. If the e European Union, with 27 countries, with different languages, different alphabets, different political systems, has been able to do that, uh, I don't understand why Canada, who's so bogged down in red mm -hmm. tape, cannot do that. So what, Marika, I mean, I mean, obviously the federal government always says, you know, the, the medical information resides in the purview of the province, and that is the nature of our federation, as you know, but what are the political hurdles ahead for Justin Trudeau and the provinces on the vaccine front? I think it's going to be the rollout of this. Joyce mentioned some of them with the exemptions, monitoring how that goes, and also monitoring and auditing this attestation that civil servants have to do. The rubber hits the road for everybody who is traveling starting at the end of October. You either need a COVID-19 negative test or a full vaccination. At the end of November, it's all full vaccination. I think that will really help to spur vaccination, spur that last mile of vaccinations. And that's really the measure they unrolled this week that affects the most right. people in Canada and so could hopefully have the most bang for your buck on vaccination rates. Yeah, and then travel, then we'll find out if we can ever travel by car to the United States again. When will that border open? That's later this month. There's going to be a decision on that. All right, uh, Jerry Dias, uh, great to have you on as our special guest. Joyce and Marika are sticking around for the next scrum. So now what? Every major political leader has returned from the last election as essentially damaged political goods, and they need a rebrand, especially in the crucial post-pandemic rebuilding phase of the country. And in politics, brands genuinely matter. For example, when Joe Clark was dubbed Joe Who, it sunk his chances of ever capturing the halo of national leadership. When The Economist called Paul Martin Mr. Dithers, it stuck and wounded. When Jack Layton surfed the orange wave in Quebec, he was dubbed Le Bon Jack, that too stuck. And today, each leader is fighting their own image problem that they might need to change. There is, to quote the memes, Tofino Trudeau, the man who wins elections but is often his own worst enemy. Last week, he had to apologize for his ill-timed vacation on the first national day for truth and reconciliation. I want to address uh, the issue of last week. Traveling on September 30th, was a mistake, and I regret it. There's also Aaron Retool, the conservative leader under fire by some members of his own party for flip-flopping from true blue Tory to red Tory. Conservatives lost. We lost by every measure, every metric, in every city, across every major group. And I come from a province where conservative colleagues lost on election night. And there is, as we saw earlier, what people are calling one-seat Judd Meat who has seen as a likable party leader, but has not been able to translate that into winning more than one seat in the last two elections. And of course, there's the Green Party leader, Ms. Paul, or enemy Paul, as some call her. She's been sabotaged by members of her own party. So do all party leaders now have damaged goods and brand issues? What do they need to do to turn it around and get at some answers that Canadians really want to hear. The Scrum returns. CTV Ottawa Bureau Chief Joyce Napier is back alongside Marika Walsh, political reporter with The Globe, and our special guest this round is uh, Nanos Research founder Nick Nanos. Uh, Nick's brands matter if you look at in history. Um, 
And the post-election has been a mixed bag, for example, for Justin Trudeau. Look, the two Michaels came home. That was a huge win. He's followed through on the vaccine mandate promise, which we've discussed. But then he was tripped up by another trip. What are the challenges for Trudeau 3.0? Well, the challenges for Justin Trudeau is basically an accumulation effect. You know, if he were a political cat, he just lost another life, so to speak, with what happened in Tofino. You know, you have the weak controversy, blackface, brownface, SNC-Lavalin. All those things are strikes against Justin Trudeau and undermine his brand. What he has to watch about is will he hit a tipping point where the damage is irreparable and he becomes a political liability. Too early to tell right now, but that's what he has to watch out for. Okay, so Marika, there's Justin Trudeau. You can, you can comment on that, but Aaron O'Toole, his party voted to give themselves the power to hold a leadership review. Didn't do that for Andrew Scheer. Is Mr. O'Toole's leadership on notice? I think it is unnoticed, but I think it's important to remember that Andrew Scheer left even though the caucus didn't give itself the power right. to get rid of him. So it's not exactly a done deal one way or the other. It certainly puts him on notice that they have retained power over him. It's my understanding, though, that caucus's meeting this past week was not as hot-tempered as it was in the first one after Andrew Scheer's loss in 2019. So it's really going to be a test, I think, for Mr. O'Toole in the weeks ahead of how he's able to rally caucus around him and, as you said in your introduction, how he retools again. Yeah, and Joyce, there's, so there's Mr. Trudeau, Mr. O'Toole, and we just had Mr. Singh on. Again, like Marika, there's nobody thinks he's not in a solid position as the leader, but does he start, does he need to produce results soon? Well, he'll need to produce results in the next campaign, that's for sure. But in the meantime, you know, I think that Jagmeet Singh is sitting pretty. Uh, again, he has the same role that he had in the previous parliament, which is the role of, you know, kind of holding the balance of power or of, of, of sort of hoisting uh, the leading party, the Liberal Party, which is still in a minority. So, you know, if you're a politician um, and, you know, you're obviously never going to win or anyway has not, that party has not won um, sort of the, 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 the seat of, of prime minister, no prime minister has ever been a, a, a dipper, um, well then, you know, he's in a pretty good, powerful position. Nick, in the meantime, so you've got all these leaders, as Joyce says, maybe all of them on notice to a certain degree. You had a poll saying people are no longer putting the pandemic as their top issue. So now these all politicians have to get back to work. What do people want done? What is the top issue that will shape the agenda? Well, I think, the, I think the top issue, as many Canadians have a bit of a sigh of relief in terms of the pandemic being under control, now we're seeing it, people turn to issues that were on the agenda before the pandemic. Now, the environment is trending up. It's the top national issue of concern. It's beaten coronavirus for the first time since February of 2020. Wow. So watch out for the environment. Watch out for jobs. Watch out for health care. We're going to be going back to what I'll say, perhaps the good old days, where where politicians now have to focus on those big issues that shape people's lives and hopefully less of a focus on the pandemic, which hopefully will be under control. Well, Joyce, real economic issues now. Inflation is growing. You had the governor of the Bank of Canada last week saying that's a worry. And yet jobs have bounced back to pre-pandemic levels. So does that, those sort of competing issues, does it put pressure on the government to figure out whether or not they should extend some of these key spending support programs? I know that it's politically very difficult to do uh, and there's going to be a lot of pushback from businesses and from individuals but at one point how long once the economy is open and the job levels are up 
And yes, there is inflation, a worse inflation. Uh, the governor of the Bank of Canada said so. Look, at one point, they're going to have to start pulling back on these programs, on these aid programs, and they'll have to be more targeted. So that's, that's going to be a very difficult exercise. And eventually, this government is going to need parliament uh, after November in order to extend them further. Yeah, uh, Marika, just weigh in on that. Inflation worries on one hand, uh, demand to keep spending on support programs because of the kind of asymmetric recovery. Uh, what becomes the biggest issue? Is it fighting inflation? Is it more stimulus? Do they have to rethink the big stimulus when they got some real growth numbers? I think they absolutely have to consider all of those things and I think that will really come to fruition or we'll have a clearer sense of how they're addressing it with the fall economic update that Minister Freeland said this past week they're still looking at whether they'll bring it forward and when. I think though the immediate concerns around climate change are going to trump those things just because of the political calendar that we see in the weeks ahead. The Prime Minister will, I believe, be going to the G20 yeah. summit in Europe followed by the climate meetings. And so I think he'll get a bit of a reprieve or a bit of a break from some of those economic questions that the Liberals have not as been as strong at answering. Uh, okay, Marika, Nick, Joyce, thanks so much. And by the way, happy Thanksgiving to all of you, and I hope you and your loved ones, and thank all of you for watching Question Period this week. I hope your Thanksgiving has all the trimmings after 19 months of this infernal pandemic. I hope you can gather safely at these precious moments, and from all of us here at Question Period, hug your loved ones, as I like to say. Thanks for watching, and we'll be back here in seven short days.